Let's bow and pray. Father, there is a silence in this moment that is so beautiful. The silence that we know you are here, that you are present, that we pray to a God who is listening, who does love us, who does see us in our brightest and shining moments and our lowest and darkest ones too. We are gathered here to go to your word, to feed our souls, to train one another up in righteousness and holiness and to pursue Christ. Whatever the condition of the hearts in this room, Father, we pray that you would be our comfort. Wherever our minds are, would you still us now and allow us to focus solely on you? Whatever burdens we are carrying right now, would we all be able to cast them at your feet and find peace? To know that if we call on your name and believe and repent and turn from our sin, we are forgiven. No matter what heavy burdens are on us, they are never too heavy for you to carry. They are never too big or too small. That we can lay everything on you and know that you, are be you bear our burdens for us. So help us now, Father, for these next few precious moments that we get to spend with you. Would you awaken us? Would you call to us? Would you open our eyes so that we can look heavenly to you? That we would look upward and know that there is a hope. There is a peace. There is a God who loves us and cares for us, formed us, shaped us, molded us, and now transforms us. If there is any soul in here tonight who does not know of this grace, who does not understand this peace, we pray that you administer to them in a way that you never have before, in a way that can only be explained by the supernatural, ever-living and all-powerful God coming to them and speaking to them. We pray that you would also use your people here through fellowship, through word, through your ministers, through prayer, through all the means that you have allowed for us to experience grace in this life. Would they be felt? Would they be understood? And would they be shared with one another? These things are only possible because of your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray that we would tonight recognize our savior is real he is here he knows our pain he feels it he understands it and he wants us to bring it to him so that we may find peace and love in his presence help us to find that here tonight in jesus name we pray amen
Lamentations chapter 4, the word of God reads like this. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold has changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer their breast. They they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst, and the children beg for food, but no one gives it to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets, and those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which is overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. But now their face is blacker than soot. They're not recognized in the streets, and their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. And the hands of the compassionate woman have boiled their own children. They became their food. And during the destruction of the daughter of my people, the Lord, he gave full vent of his wrath and he poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, and no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days are numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens, and they chased us on the mountains, and they lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. So, Father, as we get into this now, we know that we need your help. I need your help. We want to understand the truths in chapter 4. There's so much parts in the Bible, God, that we read and we're just kind of struck and we don't know what to do with. And chapter 4 is definitely one of those. Coming from chapter 3, we almost feel we wish it could have stopped there. But 
as we already make an observation, we're thankful in a sense that you didn't. So take us in, alert us all, awaken us, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in chapter 4. Um, let me just kind of briefly overview, let me get, let's all get in the plane and kind of just fly back to chapter 1. And we'll zoom back up to chapter 4. Chapter 1 and 2 was a pouring out of the, po- the poet. We'll call him that. Uh, I believe it's Jeremiah, but we'll call him the poet. Um, was pouring out and lamenting over the city. Chapters 1 and 2. Over the people. Right? Chapter 3 came and it started to get more personal. He started to use personal pronouns. I, me. And he started to lament inwardly for himself. Expressing that pain. And right there at the center of chapter 3, in the center of the book, we saw the cling to the promise, right? Those famous verses, 321, 22, 23, 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ends. His mercies are new every morning. Grace thy faithfulness. And that was like the last two weeks we were in that chapter. And there was almost like this. It went from minor key to major key. And we're like, it's that moment when we're singing songs and it's the chorus. And you're like, yeah, right? And then, um, you, know, you ever watch a movie or you watch a they're, usually, they're typically those saga movies that get, take you on a, a roller coaster ride. You know those? And then you, you come to a part in the, in the show that you wish, oh, please, just, that would be the best ending. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You ever have a day like that in your life? Where you're like, well, this is like the best day ever. Can I just stay here? And then the very next day, chapter three was one of those chapters for us. Like, it's just, wow, mountaintop. We called it the mountain peak. We've been, we've been kind of studying these poems and seeing the process of pain and grief because of sinful humanity and our choices, our brokenness, and being broken over that brokenness and learning that there's a place and a space to express that. And that while we express that, then we see the poet meditating and clinging to the promises of God, right? And then tonight, there's like this shift in the mood again. Right? The beginning of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is how lonely sits, how, how, that's an, a loss. It's, a, it's already an expression of grief. Like, oh. Chapter 3 was different. Chapter 4, it starts off, how. So before we kind of get down into the text of chapter 4, because we're a little bit farther along in the book, I just want to make a couple broad strokes, big picture observations for us to learn from the book of Lamentations as a whole. The first thing I want us to see, and I have it there in your notes if you got them. Sorry if we ran out of paper. But the first big point picture before we get down into chapter 4 is biblical lament leads to a building of character. Biblical lament leads to a building of character. Why do I say that? Because, you know, as the poet, we see his moods kind of swinging, right? Back and forth. He goes from pain to promise to weak to strong. You kind of see that tension through the book already, right? As he's having these changes, though, his heart is also changing for the good. You see, so far, Lamentations has been more of an inward process. There's an inward gain, not so much physical. The city's still up in smoke. But I want us to see that something's happening in the heart of the poet. Why do I say that? Well, notice in chapter 4, the poet's reference to the Lord, they're more statements of fact and no longer kind of indictments or complaints or questions. Notice, do you see any question marks in chapter 4? But how many question marks do you see in chapter 2? 
That is interesting. Christopher Wright in his works, he points out, you know, in chapters 1 and 2, there were strip, triple stanzas. It was like, boom, boom, boom. And then in chapter 4, there seems to be a, a less, a double stanza, like a boom, a boom. It kind of gives this picture. You, know, you ever try to write stuff down when you're angry? Or you're just having a day? You ever try to text while you're angry? And you, or you read a person's text while they're angry and you just know they're angry? When I look back through my old journal entries, my prayer journals, I know when I was having a day because I take up the whole page in like one sentence. La, 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 la. And then other days it's like I actually use the lines. But, you know, I think that's the picture. I think if you just kind of take a big zoom pic and just kind of look at the book and look at the poet and look at his writing, what's happening? There's not a change in the circumstance, but there definitely is a change in his character. It seems to be that there's this endurance that the poet is suffering through and it's producing character. And I, I think what does chapter 4 show us big picture? I think it shows us a little bit, gives us hints that the poet is growing in his understanding. There's a clarity in his thought. He's able to identify the source of why they're, they're at, where they're at. He's starting to make a little bit more clear observations. And just a quick question. We're just overviewing though right now. But has your prayers over time in your walk with the Lord, has it changed at all? Chapter 4 is very different than chapter 2, but he's in the same circumstance. Is there a little bit more stability, maturity? How are you processing hardships and discipline today? Better than yesterday? Anyway, let's keep moving on. Um, these are just big picture overviews. Romans 5 is a lovely text that I cling to a lot. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. We almost see at the beginning of chapter 4 another rep coming. It's like another swell, right? A lot of you in your observation, you're saying this, this doesn't sound new. It sounds, we've read stuff like this before. It's like spiritual reps. Catch the lingo? It's like working out. It's like training in godliness, which the apostle says has value over all Things. You know, biblical lament, if you learn this language, it's, it's spiritual exercise. You oscillate back and forth from your pain to the promise, from your pain to the promise. But it's crazy. As you take these reps, what you start to find, you may still be in the same broken world. Maybe you're in the same job, same brokenness in your marriage or whatever, same circumstance. But what you start to find, Christian, is you're different. You, you ever feel a day like you're running in circles? Because chapter 4 feels like that. We were in chapter 3 and then, oh, how? It's like we're running in circles. You ever have those days? I'm done with this. I want out. Well, here's an encouraging image that I noticed when I was studying this book is I feel like the poet's running in circles somewhat, but it's like spiraling upward to the top. You ever drive up Tantalus? How many more turns, cause? I thought it was there already. I'm 15 minutes already, you know. You just, but you feel like you're going nowhere, but you're actually going up. I think that's one of the beautiful fruits of the language of lament, biblical lament. Where you allow yourself to process this stuff, and yet the theology of him in chapter 3 is still there in chapter 4, just like Michael is saying. But it's just one of those things. I'm One more thing, and then let's get into the text where it says... And, and really, I, before we move on to that, because that's such a, such a big thing, I, I really hope to encourage you tonight, if you feel like you've been running in circles, 
to keep learning to lament, to keep going to Christ. You may feel like nothing's happening and nothing's changing, but you are. Though our outer selves are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day by day. Second big picture point, I just want to point out, and then we're going to get into the text, and it's not very complicated, straightforward. I think we should be out early. There's a future hope when you're presently hurting. There's a future hope when you're presently hurting. Right now, the poet, he was looking to the future hope in chapter 3. Lord's not going to cast off forever. His steadfast love is forever. There's a future hope coming. Jeremiah 31, he tells them, the morning is going to come to joy, and I just want you to know there's a hope for you, Israel. But they're still presently hurting. It's almost like chapter 4 is one of those snap back to reality. Not that 321 to 24 is not real. It's very real. And yet at the same time, the reality of the pain that he's seeing in chapter 4 right now is still happening. This is so big and important for us to see, especially for those of us who tend to over-spiritualize everything. And we don't know how to let people just hurt, or you don't know how to let yourself hurt in the present moment. Because sometimes I wonder if we think that if you sound like you're hurting, then you don't have hope. As if they come, contradict each other. But stuff like Lamentations teaches me that it's very possible to be hurting tonight and still be full of hope. That's possible. That, I think, as I'm learning in my own life, is closer to what it means to have a peace of God that surpasses understanding. Because I know in this room, there's a lot of pain you're going through. You don't get it. But is it possible in Christ to have peace? There's a lot of people who are presently hurting tonight, but is it possible to actually have a future hope that what the songs that we sung is for real, for real? To the point where right now in the pain, you're feeling it, but you're so rejoicing. Do you know that joy? That's the book of Lamentations. The outline of this chapter, this poem, is kind of basic. I'm just going to give it to you like this. Verse 1 to 10 is the fall of the people. Verse 1 to 10 is the fall of the people and the need for a Savior. All right? But we're going to see, obviously, the fall of the people. Verses 11 through 16 is the fall of the leaders. The fall of the leaders... And the need for the true leader. Verse 17 to 20. It's hard to see the day of salvation. I almost would change that even now after just looking at it. But I would almost change it to there's no other name that can save. (laughs) Um, But I'm sorry for my confusion for you guys right there. Changing the outline mid-sermon. Verse 21 to 22 would be affirmation that the day of salvation will come. Father, take us in now one more time. Amen. Verse 1 to 10. Notice, as my sister was pointing out in observation time, the big contrast. Grow dim, changed, holy is now scattered. Precious stones are treated like little earthen pots or pebbles. Nursing young to cruel ostriches. Once feasted, now perishing in the streets. Purple, a color of royalty, now ash heaps. 
pure and white, now black and soot, beautiful bodies, dry bones, compassionate women, cruel, boiling their children. The poet is trying to use word pictures to make it very obvious that what was once this is now this. There's an obvious fall. There's an obvious descend. Verse 1 to 2, treasures have become trash. Now, again, if we took time to just look at these word pictures and stand it, it's just, it becomes more and more like, oh, my gosh. Gold, the precious stones, three to four, caring, compassionate hearts have grown cold and cruel. And, but this picture is just so hard. It's so, so unnatural. A mother. It's such an unnatural behavior from a mom. Like, I almost don't want to stay here and think about it. But just, man, when you think about it. You exist to nurse and care, and now you're feeding off of? It's just horrible. Rich becoming poor. Healthy have become unhealthy. Vibrant life and beauty has now become faded and fragile. Why, though, church? This is all a result of the curse of sin. The fall. The fall of the people. This is obvious here in Judah. Genesis 3, rightly said the fall, that's when sin came in. Romans 3, we can all relate to this text tonight because we all have sin and fall short. Notice how all of, see, this is where Lamentations 4, it's a little different than 1 and 2 because 1 and 2 is more about the place. Oh, how lonely sits the city. Chapter 4 is more about the people. You see what the poet's doing? He's putting more emphasis now on the brokenness of the people, their faces, their bodies, the, the, the children, the infants, the young ones, the daughters, the sons. There's an emphasis now on the brokenness that sin is doing to the people. And just to remind us, soberly remind us, sin, it destroys our lives. It destroys the people spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially, politically. Judah's messed up right now. And, and the poet's presently in a lot of pain. This is tough stuff. You see, an Israelite ought to read chap something like chapter 4. And you know what that Israelite would, would say? Messiah must come. That's why I say the fall of the people and the need of a Savior. When you read texts like this, like Genesis 3 or Lamentations 4, any type of wrath of God being poured out, it must, must communicate this to us. It must. Sin is terrible and it's ruined us and we are in sin and I, we need a Savior. Messiah must come. See, chapter 4 is a reminder and it is a call that it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. And Christ said, I came into the world to save sinners. They and we all have fallen short. And tonight, church, sure, we may not be experiencing the total depravity of what Judah is going through right there in that moment. But I'm sure we can relate in some ways because we are all broken in our sin to some degree. And the full extent of that wrath is coming. 
Therefore, it must trigger this cry. Have mercy on me, O God. Oh, I pray that be a prayer you pray in your heart tonight as you read such a text. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But just don't stop there. 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. A propitiation, he absorbed that. All this pain that we've been reflecting on in this book. I was reflecting with Pastor Johnny on this. He was sharing me some of his reflections. He's imagining like Christ taking all that on him. By his wounds, we're healed. We look at stuff like this and cringe. Christ tasted it. He felt it. All this wrath that we read of, that's what we all deserve. He was forsaken that we might be forgiven. He was wounded that we might be healed. Reflect on these things. We're going to move on. But 1 through 10, it's a tough pill to swallow, is it not? But see it for what it is. I pray and hope that that stirs in the heart of New Juan Baptist Church to take our sin seriously, to hate sin, hate what is evil. It's what's, Lamentations 4 is just the poet turning the news back on. Verse 11 to 16. The fall of the leaders and the need for the true leader. I want to notice a couple things here. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. Now just imagine that. Full fury, full force. He poured out his hot anger. Man, he kindled a fire, consumed its foundations. Now he goes on, and the poet has the ability to see, point things out. The kings of the earth did not believe. He says kings in general, but definitely the kings of Judah. God's not going to judge. Jeremiah, not going to happen. We don't call it Egypt. Kings did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that the four of the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Who can touch us? Come on, we're God's chosen people. No one's going to get through the walls of Jerusalem. Unbelievable, unthinkable, no way. This was for the sins of her prophets, prophets, and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the rest. Notice, sins of the prophets, the priests, unbelief of Kings, verse 14, he goes on, they wandered blind, defiled, away, unclean, they're cut off. Down to verse 16, the Lord himself scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests or the, the elders. The fall of the leaders, the poet is starting to recognize, this is how we got here. This is one of the big reasons why we got here. Terrible spiritual leadership. The wrath of God is being poured out. This is so true, though. The prophets, they were to be the ones who were supposed to be the ministers of the word. They're supposed to bring the word of God. Tell us like it is. Show us our wrong. 
They didn't do that. The priests were the ministry of prayer, sacrifices, and intercession. But none of that. Kings were supposed to rule and reign in righteousness and obey. But no, none of that. This is a scary portion of the text for me. James says, not many, of, um, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach, we who lead spiritually will be judged with greater strictness. This is, this is big. In Israel's history, there was checks and balances in leadership. If the king went astray, the prophet would step up. The priests were unfaithful, kings would step in. Here's some examples. I love Reichen. He points this out. King David sinned with Bathsheba, but the prophet Nathan called him to repent. That's 2 Samuel 12. Priests were lazy and allowed the temple to decay, so King Joash repairs it. 2 Kings 12. You see how there was a sense of, in God's beautiful design, but right here, there's like a triple threat here. Prophet, priests, and kings all failed, all sinning, all led astray. And the result of it, the people are at fault too. But, oh, man, it starts at the top. This is a big gut check for the leaders in the world, especially in the church. I was reading through this and reflecting on it, and it was one of those, i got to encourage the church tonight. Please pray for your spiritual leaders. Please, please pray for your pastors and your deacons here. We must pray, church, for our leaders The poet's bringing it out. This is because of the sins and the iniquities of the prophets, priests, kings, elders. Boom, putting his finger on it. You know, I'm so thankful, though, that we have a church that prays for its leaders. I really am. It's not uncommon for a week to go by and one of the members, old or young, will come up to me and hug me and say, we're praying for you and all the pastors. That's so cool. I beg you, please keep doing that. Just like in the first point, though, the fall of the people ought to remind us and call us that we need a savior. Well, the fall of the leaders, I think it reminds us and calls that we need a true leader. We need a greater prophet, priest, and king. Who's that, church? I hear you whispering it. His name is... Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Amen. I love that song. I never sang that song in a long time. But that's so true. He is the true prophet, priest, and king. He's the prophet because he is the word. He's the living word. To borrow language from the catechism, he executes this office of prophet by revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Jesus is the true priest because he gave himself up as a perfect sacrifice and he lives to intercede for us all. That's Hebrews 7. He's the one true perfect king because he reigns in righteousness and he will rule forever, Revelation 1. 
all of this that we're reading, it ought to point the Israelite, point us to the greater leader that we all need tonight. Oh, how I need a true prophet, priest, and king. Oh, how you need it. I wouldn't be surprised if in this, this room you have been scarred and abused by a lack of leadership in your life. Wouldn't shock me. I empathize with you. I've experienced my fair share of being under leadership that fell short. And those wounds, they run much deeper than you realize, that we realize. Guys, your leaders here in this church, we all fall short. Our parents, our pastors, our principals, our bosses, all leadership in your life, they all fall short. But there is one. There is one that is true, one that is faithful, and that's the man, God, Jesus Christ. See, a text like this ought to cause us to run with endurance and look to Jesus. Consider him. Oh, Judah, you got to keep looking ahead to the Messiah right now. Hang on, wait well. Maybe tonight you're here and you have wounds and wreckage that are really, really hard because of a lack of leadership or an abuse of leadership in your life. And I've been praying for you all day today. I don't know what that looks like or feels like or how that is in specifics in your life tonight. But I was very much looking forward to telling you and showing you from the Bible that Jesus is the one true prophet, priest, and king. And you can trust him and follow him to the very end. Perhaps your faith this evening is relying too much on earthly leaders more than you realize political leaders, spiritual leaders, a parent, a spouse. No one can compare. No one can come close to Christ. Please, I beg you, trust in him. Let's bring this to a close. Verse 17 to 20. Our eyes have failed and ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watch for a nation which cannot save. In that desperation, in that moment, just looking around, clawing, grabbing, all the, all the boys they thought they could rely on. Where's Egypt? Just marching on by while we're getting destroyed by Babylon. All the wisdom of man that they once relied on. Our end drew near. Our days are numbered for our end had come. It's starting to look okay. It's hard to see the day of salvation. Maybe you're at that point tonight. Everything and everyone that you had thought was where it was at is finally falling through. You're in that valley, and you don't see how you get through this valley. It's a tough spot to be in for the poet that final surge of soldiers rushing in right now. 
He's watching it. They're swift like eagles. They're just coming in, just taking over. Can you just imagine the panic he's feeling or just like the overwhelmingly like, no hope? The, poet comes to, the poem comes to a close. O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz, but to you also the cup shall pass. The cup is a symbol of the wrath of God. You too. It's coming. You'll become drunk and strip yourself bare. And then he shifts back to Judah. And this is big. It says, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. In other words, it is finished. You know what I said earlier? The full wrath of God is being poured out. There's like a, a hint of hope in that, in that it's the full wrath. It's, it's all being poured out. Meaning for local people, Pahana, spankings is Pao. <laughs> That's what he's saying. You see how just that one little slender line of scripture, though, it's like, ah, just what, just what the reader needed to hear. Just what the poet needed to hear. He will keep you in exile no longer. Just previously, it's hard to see the day of salvation. Right now, the day of salvation is coming. Justice will be served. All sin will be punished. There will be a day of reckoning. Edom, your sin will be uncovered. This is a truth that we all must breathe in and think about. All sin will be punished. In Judah's circumstance, this is kind of like, yes, in part it's happening. They're going to get out of exile. They'll come back to Jerusalem. But this is echoing. This is pointing us forward to a greater day when such a phrase is going to be uttered. When Christ was stretched out on the tree, bleeding from seven places. They took the sour wine and they plunged it in his mouth. He had just enough breath to utter one more thing. You know what Jesus said? It is finished. The question tonight is, church, children, friends, when the wrath of God comes, is your sin paid in full for you? It is finished. It is accomplished. Jesus paid it all. The question is, did he pay for you? Because your sins are sins that we think we're getting away with. There's no such thing. There's no running and hiding. All sin will, go, will give an account. He is a righteous and faithful and just God. And he must, just like here, he must punish it. It will be punished. But the question is, has Christ in your stead paid it all in full for you? Oh, please, trust in Christ. The time is short. I don't know how much longer we're going to have transactions like this. I don't know how much longer I'm going to hear the word of God preached, hear the gospel sung, see the gospel lived out. Today is the day. Tonight is the night of salvation. Trust in Christ.
There's hope for Zion. There's hope for this city. There's hope for the people. God's eternal kingdom will stand. All seasons of suffering will come to an end. There is a future hope that we have, church. All the songs we sang this evening, I was begging God for imagination to just see glimpses of it. But keep me believing. And as we wait, as we continue on in the ruins of humanity, and we see this, the curse of sin, you're going to wake up tomorrow in the same circumstance. You're going to see the same brokenness around you. But I hope and pray that something's changed. That you have this treasure now in this jar of clay. That you know what the end result is. That we wake up tomorrow able to, to, to grow. We, we're going to have these growing pains of this life, but every day that goes on, children who are here, if you're really there, you, you know I envy you so much because you're gaining these things, chewing on these things now, that by the time in God's grace, if you see 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, you know how mature and solid and steadfast you're going to be? And for this next generation, we're going to need children of God just like that. You're going to meet all sorts of people in their brokenness. And we are going to have ourselves anchored in the promises of the future hope in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? It's good stuff, church. John 16, In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Take heart. In the world, you're going to have hardships. Lament in that. But take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Keep your eyes up, Nuanu. Our king is coming. Our king is coming. Song's not over. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in our pain this evening, would you grow us? Would you strengthen our resolve to wait on you? I pray that you'd mature us this evening. Allow us to be a people who know how to count it all joy. That we would know the promises of God and be anchored in it. Thank you so much for Christ. The hope that we have in him. We ask that you would do a mighty supernatural thing as we sing out right now as we pray out through song, that you would grant faith that perhaps right now you would meet us in the midst of perhaps there's someone in the room that is in sin or fallen, reaping the, 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 the fruit of fallen leadership in their life or whatever the case is, God. But right now in this moment, would you bring it all together and connect all the dots that Christ is all? He is prophet, priest, king. He is all we need for life. Let us come to you. No one comes to the Father. No one knows Jesus unless you give it. So please, faith is a gift. So Spirit of God, work in us and through us. Work on us, Lord. Teach us as a church how to process pain like this. Teach us to lament. 
And we pray this in your name. Amen. Please join us in standing. And let's go to the presence of God together. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Good word, brother. Um, let's stick around and fellowship now and uh, enjoy um, good spirit of uh, community in the Lord. Amen. God bless. <laughs>